So yes, James. I like James. I like the book of James a lot. I've always liked it. Um, I think because I feel like James is a bit like me. He's quite practical. Um, and he seems to also get frustrated when things are not how they should be. I like that he has this attitude of, well, don't pray for someone unless you're going to do something about it as well. Don't just say nice things. Be the change that you want to see. And we come to this passage this morning about wisdom, about two different kinds of wisdom. And I wonder, do you consider yourself a wise person? Are there, or are there those around you who you would consider wise? And what do you consider is the defining quality of someone who possesses wisdom? Is it knowledge, a scholarly brain full of information or useless facts either way? Someone that you can go to and get answers? Is it understanding, that kind of depth that goes a little bit beyond the knowledge of someone that it shows someone who's been spending time reflecting and pondering and wrestling? Or is it success? Someone who's clearly put both that knowledge and that understanding to good use and is now successful in their field or in life in a number of ways. Is it something else? A kind of worldly knowledge, an understanding of how things work, a spiritual knowing, that kind of guru-esque type figure, or is it just a general maturity? James has this to say, that if you want to be seen as wise and have understanding, then you need to show it through your behavior. He describes someone who is wise as someone who is living a good life and whose work is done with a gentleness that is born of wisdom. So he seems to be saying that our actions and the way that you're living your life would betray whether or not you are a person who has wisdom. Like I said, I like James because he's quite a practical person. Or at least the writer of James seems to be quite a practical person. I, he, I think he also seems to see through people, or at least he's not blind to how people can be. That there are those that can seem good, that can say the right things, that can appear wise, but perhaps they're not. He calls out those whose ambitions are actually self-serving or led by envy, saying that if you are a selfish person, whatever you do is false to whatever truth it is that you might be speaking. There are those who are held up as being wise by earthly and worldly standards. They may even be good people by our own standards. James has a description of what he perceives as being this earthly wisdom. It is someone who has bitter envy. I did some reading around this and it, it seemed to denote this idea of someone who sees those who disagree with them or who have more than them or who have less than them as the enemy. Those who, are, who can become preoccupied with looking good, with optics, with being seen as being the best in whatever it is that they are doing. They may even believe that they're doing the right thing or that they need the things that they are attaining or that they deserve the success that they have. 
It talks about selfish ambition. Those who are interested in the victory of their own opinions and their own truth. Again, I did some reading around this. And actually the original word, erethea, that's translated as selfish ambition, doesn't actually mean, it's the original meaning is, means spinning for work. And it was used to talk about serving women. And then it developed to mean all work that was done for pay. And then that developed further and became work that was done solely for what you could get out of it. And then that word moved into politics and it meant the kind of selfish ambition that is only out for itself and would use any means to get it. It's quite a strong image that James is portraying here. One that is out for oneself. It takes that bitter envy and it puts it into action. And finally, it is boastful and false. It's pride in knowledge rather than humility in ignorance thinking that we know it all already, or that we have the right way of doing things, that we've got it sorted, and that that's not open for discussion. We don't need to listen to other opinions. All that we have attained, be it reputation, material possessions, or knowledge, we have earned by ourselves, and we are right. And I wonder, in hearing this list, and I do not want you to shout out any names. Does anyone pop into your mind? Maybe there's more than one person that springs to mind when you hear these things. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that I'm just suggesting that perhaps as well, we need to look closer to home. Do we see any of these traits within ourselves, within our community? And this is a big challenge to myself. I've been reading commentators for this passage. And one commentator talks about those who are spiritual and religious leaders, scholars and teachers, we are twice as susceptible to these things. As preachers and spiritual teachers, we are used to having our word listened to and accepted. And I am not blind to the fact that I am standing here preaching about worldly and heavenly wisdom with an expectation of being listened to. And I am speaking with a level of trust that what I am saying is coming from from the heavenly inspiration rather than the earthly one. I recognize the precarious and privileged situation and position that I am inhabiting this morning. But I would also argue that any of us who live in any or all of the intersections of privilege in this world are perhaps even more susceptible. There is a trap in the world that we live in at the moment, mistakenly thinking that the good things that we own or have access to have been achieved or attained through our own hard work and that they are deserved. Because this is a trap that leads to arrogance, ignorance and internalized supremacy. It plays into the systems that trap all of us, the earthly ways of this world, systems of ownership, of borders, of class, of evil. It describes to me the system of capitalism that benefits those that are already privileged and it disinherits and disadvantages the oppressed and the marginalized, all the while promising opportunities and riches for anyone who works hard enough. 
Job in his in the book of Job there is a picture that is painted in a similar way the question is asked where shall wisdom be found because you can dig for gold you can trawl the sea for pearls you can buy coral and crystals and jewels with money but you can't get wisdom that way Job goes on to call us to fear the Lord that is wisdom and to part from this evil that is understanding the writer of Ecclesiastes considers all, the hand, all that their hands have done and spent time chasing after over the years and tells us that it's all vanity. It's like chasing after the wind. It's madness and folly to chase after the things of this world because they lead nowhere and we all die and we all return to dust. The writer is rather fatalistic but ends with a call to fear God and to keep his commandments. I have to say, both of these ways of looking at the world don't necessarily fill me with the inspiration and motivation that perhaps they were hoping for. And I don't necessarily feel impassioned to go out and do those things. It sounds like perhaps I am preaching on a callback to this old time religion of let's get everyone in the church, sat on the pews. Let's get us all obeying the Ten Commandments and all will be well sounds like perhaps I'm reaching for a nostalgic vision of a bygone religious age of Christendom, a vision of a Christian faith and commandment keeping, but I'm not. To me, that is a, a faith that is of privatized religion, allowing us to be good and faithful and moral in private, but to still go and work at the Tower of Babel. Or to float it on the stock market and bet when it's coming down. But I would also argue that this picture can be flipped. It doesn't have to be privately following the Ten Commandments and working for Babel. It can be doing good works and even saying pro publicly and proclaiming God's work, fighting for the right things like recycling, conducting same-sex marriages, campaigning for the living wage, and yet privately and even corporately still act as the world tells us to. Evil is not just the misbehaviors that you and I get up to behind closed doors, but it's the systems that keep the poor poor, keep the rich rich. Systems that allow rich countries to bully and bomb poor ones with impunity, or on a smaller scale, it can keep us arguing and debating without resolution amongst ourselves. It can keep us from real change, from real growth. It divides us. In chapter four, James is asking, where do our disagreements and feuds come from? They come from following this earthly wisdom. Bitter envy, selfish ambition, boastful pride. A lie that permeates into our personal lives, but also into our corporate one as a community. Even if we are trying to speak and act in a heavenly way. Earthly wisdom is very different to real wisdom, to heavenly wisdom. And this kind of wisdom is actually the only thing that the writer of Ecclesiastes recognizes in his meaningless existence to have any real value. 
So how do we become wise in a heavenly way? Is it something that we can learn? Is it something that we can read about, that we can fill our heads with? Is it something that we just need to keep practicing at? Is it something that comes up from within? Is it something that we can apply to certain situations? James tells us that wisdom is not something that we can attain, but it is simply a gift from God. James has a beautiful description of wisdom, purity. Wisdom is peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality or hypocrisy. It's pure. This root meaning of pure means pure enough to approach the gods. One that is not simply ritualistic, but holistic, cleansed of any ulterior motives, pure enough to see God in it. It's peaceable. True wisdom produces right relationships. It produces community. Not the kind of cleverness that separates or looks down with condescension. True wisdom will always bring people together, closer to each other and closer to God. It talks about a kind of justice. Being gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy. A justice that's better than justice, which steps in to correct things when the law itself is unjust. And it's full of forgiveness and grace. It's open to persuasion, not in a weak and suggestible way, but in a way that recognizes our own humility to our own ignorance always ready to listen, to be open to appeal, and importantly, knowing when we should yield. Full of mercy and good fruits. Mercy for those in suffering injustice. Love for those suffering injustice due to their own fault. Love and mercy thrown, shown through actions, seen by fruit. It is without partiality or hypocrisy. It knows its own mind, sets its course and abides. It is true to itself and to its values. True to the ideals with which it has set itself or has been given. And I would ask the question again, Reading and listening to that list, is there anyone that pops into your mind that fits that description? I think this one's probably a bit harder. No, I don't. I would ask us as a community, do we fit that description? Because I don't think this wisdom is something that we can pick up. It's not something that we can attain. It's not something that we use on and off when it's time to make a decision for ourselves or for the community but something that needs to be tried to li be lived out in each moment in every conversation in all of our thoughts 
and in every breath. It is something that is gifted and something that takes a lifetime to live out. This isn't about keeping commandments. This is about living in God's will. Through all my reflections on this this morning, I came to the place where I, I believe that to ask, like to, to live in God's will, we must always be asking ourselves the question, is this pleasing to God? I think we are good at thinking practically. We are good at thinking about justice. We're good, good, good at just thinking, to be honest. We try and live out the ideals. We try and act in a way that is good and just. But I'm not sure I have ever heard us ask ourselves whether we think this is pleasing to God. Perhaps it's implicit, but maybe it should be explicit. I think without asking that question, we can slip into the worldly wisdom again without realizing it. We can slip into earthly desires to be seen as good, to try and do the right thing, to be known for our actions. And that way can lead to boastful pride. It can lead to selfish ambition and it can lead to bitter envy. In our prayer that we say every Sunday, we commit ourselves to God, asking for God's will to be done on earth as in heaven. And I've always struggled with this idea of thy will be done. Because I think it can sometimes feel like a get out of jail free card. I think it is a good thing to pray when we don't know how to change a situation or we don't know what to say. But I think there is a deeper mission, a deeper meaning to this that is one of submission. Thy will be done even if it's not mine. Even if it's not our will even if it seems unwise by worldly standards. It is not a passive prayer because it asks the question, what is God's will? And it calls us to constantly ask, will this please God? Amen. Thank you, Dawn. Now, let us take a couple of minutes of silence and contemplation, during which time I'm going to ask the panel to join me at the front as we reflect on those words.
And for those at home and in the meeting, please do enter some comments or reflections if you have them in the chat. I will come and draw to those later. Firstly, I want to say thank you again to Dawn. That's a sermon that's going to need some re-listening to and some reconsideration and some thought. And as a deacon here, I think there is a challenge to us as a wider group as well. But Yudoko, can I ask you first if you have any thoughts and reflections that you want to bring forward from what you've heard? Yeah, um, I think it's, it's a really good sermon that causes you to go into a very introspective place and ask about kind of re-examining my relations to myself, ego, others in the light of, is this God's will? Is this showing a sense of wisdom and being like a gentle force of positivity and guidance to other people's lives? Or am I leading with ego, leading with um, thinking of how other people see me, the world, professional achievements? And I feel like it's something I needed to hear at this point in my life. Um, always taking at the beginning and end of every day and saying, is this what you want? And I was thinking on, you know, the post-grad job search yesterday and I was thinking about um, wanting all these different things and sometimes doors shut, but sometimes you go to a door and it's God shutting that door. <laughs> and if you go through a window, then that's breaking and entering. Like it's, it's about being led by God's will for your life. So that's what I was thinking about listening to it. Thank you. Evelyn? Um, yes, for me, uh, um, wisdom, I was interested in the relationship, uh, how education has changed. And it was all based on knowledge. And now it's much more turned with acquiring wisdom because knowledge you can find everywhere on the internet and everywhere. And so I think our role as teachers is more about giving those tools to students to be able to acquire some wisdom, to be able to um, find where is truth and, and to be able to act on that. And especially in front of all the challenges that we have in climate crisis, inequality, etc. And so I think, yes, we have an important role on that. And uh, it's important that we are not self-centered, but we have uh, this um, input from, from God to just follow his advice. John Mark, any thoughts, reflections? Yes, in, in thinking about wisdom, one often confuses it, and, and Don spoke about this, whereas opinions we feel entitled to, or judgments we think we can make, particularly when we think they are backed by the privilege of education, position in society, or material possessions that we all think we deserve, and therefore, you know, that confers wisdom. I think wisdom is, 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 is none of that. Wisdom, if anything, starts with oneself and it is about doubt. It is about introspection and uh, 
challenging one oneself. It is, in my mind, more about silence. You know, we hear a lot of people speaking wisdom. I'm always having a taking a step back when when I, I, I hear that. But it is more about actions, and it's about being open to others, truly compassionate, and be be ready to go towards the other and really um, uh, yes try to have that that level of um, of empathy and and lastly i don't think it is something personal wisdom is something that i think we need to be very in inclusive about it is we we all we all have uh, bits of, of wisdom, whoever we are, whatever our position is, and it is often by bringing all of that together that we actually create, you know, some beginning of, of collective wisdom. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the time wisdom is knowing when you don't have the knowledge or the experience, and you've got to find those that do. And sometimes that's the experience lip. Because, yes, it... I liked that question at the end there, Dawn. What change would asking the question, is this pleasing to God, make? I think it would change a lot of the decisions that we would otherwise think as worldly wise. I'm going to go to the back of the church, to the laptop, and see what comments have come from those at home. <laughs> We'll find out. Uh, do you want to share the screen? Thank you, Fifi. Um, saying thank you to Dawn. And I do think we should be asking more. Is this pleasing to God? What is in our minds when we think that? As someone who is neurodivergent, I picture everything if you do the same, think of God as a disabled, black, trans, queer woman, and not Zeus. <laughs> and Numa, thank you for your challenging words, Dawn. I was struck by the expression internalized supremacy. Yes. And finally, Lance, the bit about being wise enough to discern when to give ground really resonated with me. It takes a lot of confidence and humility to do this sometimes. Yeah, I think that's very true for all of us. And so we come to our prayers of intercession. God of love, wisdom, and grace, we bring our hopes and fears before you. As schools have reopened, we thank you for all the teachers and support staff in the schools who have returned to the classrooms. We ask for your protection over them and grace to cope with the fear of COVID-19 spreading through the classrooms. 
Lord, show us how to help, support and serve those who are working to bring knowledge to our children. We look on as world leaders gather for the UN General Assembly. We pray for cooperation in tackling the global challenges of our time. We ask for equality in the availability of vaccines to the global poor, that rich nations will not hoard doses against the potential need for booster doses to keep their economies secure at the cost of lives elsewhere. Show us your wisdom. Help us to understand how to help and serve. We pray for honesty with regards to climate change. The realization that these most, it, those most impacted have the least resources to adapt and the least power to change what's happening. And that we all have a duty to act even against our own worldly wisdom, self-interest, and political popularity. Lord, show us each how we can change and how as a nation we can change. We lift to you the poor of our nation, scared of the recent rise in the cost of energy, and afraid of the planned reductions in universal credit, wondering which meal they won't eat and how to keep a roof over their family's heads. We pray for equality in our city. Lord, show us your wisdom, show us how to help and serve. Amen. At this time, we would normally have our offering and the plates would be passed, but that can't happen at the moment. Instead, our giving is through the banking system and online. We thank you for those that are generously giving and consistently giving to this church and the work we do here. Lord, the money that has been given, we thank you for it. We give it to you. We pray for wisdom for those that are responsible for how it is spent. That it, we might have your wisdom and think of what is your, pleasing to you as we decide how to use those finances. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.